If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. This chapter is uh, surely one of the very precious portions of the Word of God uh, that the Lord has given, uh, not just for our instruction, it does do that, teaches us much and many valuable things, uh, but it is also undoubtedly for our encouragement um, that as we walk in the Spirit, a walk that is our privilege as children of God, as we uh, look to the obligation that we have to God uh, to pursue uh, that which he is intent on accomplishing in us, uh, the opening words of, uh, actually I guess it's verse 4, uh, testifies that God's one of God's purposes in sending his son is that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Right? That's Christ-likeness. And uh, so we have this obligation, and as we uh, follow the Lord, as we uh, step by step by step uh, follow him along that path, uh, we will find many things that come to challenge us, Uh, difficulties. Uh, That path is not uh, a path of ease. Uh, At a minimum, it requires us to put to death our members which are upon the earth, right? There is a dying to self, a submitting of our will, which is not an easy thing, right? Uh, Because by nature, we are inclined out from under God, right? We do not want to live under him, Uh, but we must. And if we would walk in the spirit, that's exactly where he's going to lead us right under God and uh, following of him. And so as we give ourselves to these things and we face those challenges and those difficulties, the Lord wants to encourage us along the way. Uh, He doesn't want us to faint. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to proceed with perseverance. And so he encourages our hearts by pointing ahead. Like even as you know, it's it's in, it's amazing, interesting. Uh, the Lord's uh, testimony uh, to—we had a little discussion about interesting, and I wasn't supposed to tell you about it. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so. But uh, if you think of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, where uh, we are called to run with patience, with endurance, perseverance, this race that is set before us, and the example given to us is the Lord Jesus. And as he ran his race as a human being, and he had to run a race, he's God, yes, but he's also man. And he had to run a race, And he did it looking forward. There was joy set before him. And that's what he was looking at. Okay, So we should follow his example. There is joy set before us if we are the children of God. 
the redemption of our bodies, right? Mortal, putting on immortality, death being swallowed up in life. There is joy set before us, the presence of God himself that we will step into one day and we will be welcome there, right? We will not be cast out. We will be embraced and welcomed by our Heavenly Father. So there is great joy set before us. And this chapter reminds us of that, right? Testifying to our inheritance and the glory that awaits us. And really bearing witness that all of creation enters into that. And so the prospect, it's not just the personal joy that I'm going to experience and that you as a child of God are going to experience. But it's going to be all of creation. Right? Set free, delivered from the bondage of corruption. Can you imagine? Right? I mean, we have Psalms that call you know, the hills to praise the Lord and the streams and the rocks and creation to praise the Lord. Well, I don't know that we're actually going to hear them literally do that, uh, those uh, parts of creation, but surely when the weight of the curse of sin is lifted, it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. So uh, that is part of what is set before us here, right? We're to consider that for our encouragement, right? That yes, we groan. We do groan. That word is in here. It's in here several times. We groan. But creation groans. And we, we do it all in hope for what's coming, right? So this is not the end. And this which we experience here, and however hard it gets, it is not the end. And those troubles and those afflictions that are real, the scripture never denies it. Right? They are real. The tears that you shed are real. Right? And the, you know, the crush on your spirit sometimes is real. But it is not worthy to be compared to what's coming, right? So let's lift our eyes to what is coming. That's the point. Lift our eyes to what is coming and let us hope for what we see not. What we don't see is eternal. It's promised by an eternal God who cannot lie. And so it is for our souls a great anchor and help for us in a time of storm, right? Then we have... Verse 26, that says, likewise, or in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, what we've just been talking about. In the same way that this hope of our inheritance should be a help for us. Is it not a help for us? Yes, it is a help for us. All right. In the same way, likewise, add this into the picture. The Spirit also helps our infirmities. The third person of the Godhead also steps into the picture. 
It's not just that you're walking in the Spirit. It's not just that He's there testifying that, yes, you are indeed a child of God. Look at the evidence that you're a child of God, the fruit of the Spirit being produced in your life and so on. Right? That's all part of what He's doing. But there's more. And these verses that follow testify to the more help that He gives. Alright, so let's focus on this. The Spirit intercedes is what we are told. That's the title for the message this morning. The Spirit intercedes. This is all in the context of our infirmities. You look at verse 26. The Spirit also helps our infirmities. Our weakness. This then, in the context of the chapter, is in the course of walking in the Spirit. It's in the course of sanctification, that righteousness being fulfilled in us that we've all been talking, or that we've been talking about. It's in the context, verse 17, of our suffering with Christ as children of God. It's in the context, verse 18, of the sufferings of this present time. These are, this is um, testimony to our weakness, our infirmity, the fact that we suffer, right, is our inherent weakness. Now, this term, weakness, is a very interesting one. Uh, because Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he fleshes this out for us by his own testimony. Here is this outstanding servant of the Lord. The day of his conversion... His prayer was, Lord, what would you have me do? And we do not have any record. I'm sure he was not perfect, perfect. He wasn't. But we do not have any record in the scripture of him turning aside along the way. In fact, the Holy Spirit authorizes him on several occasions to challenge us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Right? So he stands as an example for us to follow in following Christ. So what he speaks here by way of personal testimony is very useful for us in that end. Right? If we are to be imitators of him, then he is going to share something of his own personal experience of weakness and how he responded in that weakness. And that is going to be an example for us um, of exactly what Romans 8 is calling us to recognize. So this uh, chapter, uh, actually in chapter 11... He talks about, look at verse 30 of chapter 11, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities, my weakness. And then uh, he has some other things to say, but in chapter 12, verse 5, he now picks up on that again. 
of such an one I will uh sorry of such an one will I glory yet of myself I will not glory but in my infirmities for though I would desire to glory I shall not be a fool for I will say the truth but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be or that he hears of me. Right? So he's wanting us to have a correct, realistic picture of this man, of himself. And he says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He saw the Lord, right? He had much privilege as a choice servant of God, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, one occupying that office in addition to the 12, right? The only one in addition to the 12 occupying that office. He was a very privileged man. But he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, even in those words, it's not my purpose to preach this passage, but even in those words, there is some very helpful instruction to us. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that God allows trouble in our experience is to keep us low, to keep us humble, to keep us dependent upon him, to keep us from exalting ourselves. Folks, you don't want to exalt yourself because the one that exalts himself, God will abase. You don't want that. We want to humble ourselves before him that he might lift us up. Well, one of the tools that the Lord gives to us is our infirmities, our weakness, right? You're not Superman. Sorry, you know, you guys, you're not. Uh, You're just a man or a woman. You're just a finite creature. But you have a glorious God And he will help you through those weaknesses, through those infirmities, if you will receive it, if you will follow him. So there is this humility, this uh, lest he be exalted above measure. Verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Go ahead and pray about it. That's fine. The Lord encourages us to cast all of our care upon him. But you must be prepared For his will to be, no, I will not remove it from you, right? We have to be prepared for that. And that doesn't mean that God's being bad to us. It doesn't mean that God's being evil to us. It doesn't mean that God has ceased loving us. Have you read Romans chapter 8? Right? What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall these hard things? I'll show you that in just a minute. Answer, no. So God said unto me, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the same word translated infirmity in verse uh, 5 and also in Romans 
8. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. There's that same word. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. There's our word again. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, there's a related word, a verb form. When I am weak, then am I strong. And it, clearly it's not his own personal strength. It's the strength of the Lord right? that he is recognizing in himself. Right? And that is part of the ministry of God's spirit. Okay? The spirit also helps our infirmities our weaknesses. Now in Paul's case, the explicit weakness that he that moves him to share this testimony is some physical malady, right? We don't know we aren't told precisely what that was. A lot of speculation. We don't know. But it was some thorn in the flesh, some physical malady. So we rightly understand the term weakness or infirmity the Spirit helps our weakness, our infirmity. We rightly understand that to include those physical maladies. But 2 Corinthians 12 makes it very clear that we ought not limit our understanding of the word to only those physical maladies. Because Paul continues look in verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities, but then right alongside that, he includes these things, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. And uh, clearly some of those are not necessarily physical in nature. Right? Uh, reproaches or uh, necessities could be some, uh, I guess, physical in nature. And there is some physical element in these, but not exclusively, right? Some of it could be uh, the idea of tribulation or persecution, as it says explicitly. Now, let's go back to Romans 8. And I want you to look past the passage that we're considering this morning down to verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Okay. So there's a question being asked. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then there are some possibilities that are suggested. Shall these things in this list separate us from the, from the love of Christ? Now what is very interesting to me is that you notice in that list you have the word distress. That was in 2 Corinthians 12.10. You have the word persecutions. That was in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Now, the, there, there's no overlap, direct overlap in the other words. However, 2 Corinthians 12.10 has the word necessities. 
and surely famine or nakedness could be included in necessities that fell upon him or whatever, right? Okay, my point is, these are the kinds of things that verse 26 is telling us the Spirit is here to help us in. That's my point. Right? We're wanting to understand what are my we- what is my weakness? What are my infirmities? Well, it's these kinds of things. It includes, you know, just the physical um, maladies that befall us as uh, people in corruptible bodies, in mortal bodies. Surely it includes that. But it also includes these other kinds of things, these hard experiences particularly falling to those that are following Christ. Because the world then hates us and the world, you know, uh, persecutes and so on. And so verse 26 of Romans 8 is telling us that this, the context of the encouragement that is given to us here is our infirmities, our weakness. Now, this then... In the context of our, our infirmities, we are pointed to another source of help. So this is point number two. Point number one is, in the context of our infirmities, point number two, another source of help. Okay, so likewise, in the same way, the Spirit also helps Help in suffering, help in our weakness was given by the hope of our inheritance. Verse 17. The hope of our glorification. Verses 17, 18, 21 mention that. The hope of the redemption of our bodies. Verse 23 mentions that. All of that hope provides help for us in the context of our infirmities. But we have this other source of help. And what is very, very special for us is that this help particularly comes alongside, look at verse 26, the Spirit helps our infirmities. Why? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, you can expect that there will be times and you don't even know what to pray for. I mean, do I pray for, you know, that this would all go away? Do I pray? What do I pray for? Right? I mean, it's just so, it is so too much that we're in a place where we don't even know how to pray or what we should pray for. Or, in a more finely stated way, what is the will of God? I mean, you know, we are told that we ought to pray in accordance with the will of God, right? We are are promised in 1 John chapter 5, this very, very rich promise. This is the confidence that we have in him, 1 John 5.14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. But folks, there will be times you have no clue what the will of God is. 
So how are you supposed to pray? Okay. There is still something to encourage you, even in a time like that. And what should encourage you is the Holy Spirit's praying. He's praying for you. Right? Verse 26. The, Holy, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself, there's an emphatic uh, statement here, the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. All right, so even when we're in a situation where we are at a loss to even know how to pray, how to formulate our request to the Lord, especially in the context of wanting to do His will and wanting to follow Him, Lord, what do I even ask for? Right? Well, the, 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 the Word of God here is encouraging us with this promise that the third person of the Godhead is praying for you. Now, I made note of some, you know, a very interesting repetition here. Look at verse 26. Middle of the verse. The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. Look at verse 27. Because He, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints. So the us, in verse 26, is the saints. It's the children of God. Okay? But notice verse 31. What, was, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us. God is for you. Third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, is interceding for you. He is for you. Look at verse 32. God delivered up His own Son for us all. God the Father delivers up His own Son for us. He is for you. Verse 34. Who then is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There's an emphasis here. Folks, God is for you. If you're a saint, if you're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, God is for you. For you. He's on your side. Rather, since you're on his side, you're on the right side. He's for you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is for you. Yes, he allowed the thorn in the flesh. Yes, He allowed the tribulation or the persecution or the distress or the nakedness or the famine or the crop failure or the business failure. Yes, He allowed it. But He's for you. Don't forget that. He is for you. 
Even in the midst of that weakness, even in the midst of that infirmity, even as you're experiencing that hard thing, God is for you. God the Holy Spirit is for you. He's interceding. God the Son is for you. He's interceding. Right? God the Father is for you. He delivered up His own Son for you. Right? I mean, the, all three persons of the Godhead in this chapter are testified that they are for us. That ought to encourage you. Ought it not? Right? Shouldn't that encourage us? Now, the challenge is when it's dark and stormy around you and when it hurts so bad, that requires faith. Requires faith. Because it sure doesn't feel like he's for me. And that's, folks, that is one of the reasons why this chapter is so valuable. Because it speaks in the context of those infirmities. It speaks in the context of those things that, that naturally would cause you to question whether he's for you. To question whether he loves you. Okay, are you with me? So in other words, the Holy Spirit is anticipating a very real um, possibility in our thinking. Here we are, we're following Christ. I mean, I'm a child of God and yes, I want to follow him. I want to have done with my sin. And so I set out on this course of righteousness, right? Why are they hating me? Right? Why is it so hard? Right? Why? I mean, the temptations just seem to keep bowling me over, and it's just I got to get up again. And you know, okay, well, and then we can question, right? Where's God in all of this? You know, read Job's experience. Um, read Joseph's experience. Hard things. The guy's thrown in, I mean, he's, you know, uh, sold by his brothers, right? Serves the Lord faithfully as a servant in Pot, uh, Potiphar's house, right? And gets some, you know, liberty and position and all of that, but then unjustly accused, thrown in prison, stays there for more than two years in prison. Right? We're not talking one of those Hilton prisons. Right? This is an Egyptian prison, not an American prison or a Canadian prison. Right? Two years plus in prison, unjust, unjustly. God stopped loving him? No. Think of what God did through that man. For his people, think of the work that was accomplished through that man. Think of the wonderful testimony that stands even for us 4,000 years later. We're still reading about that man, right? And being encouraged by his faithful walk, right? And his love for his brothers who did that, who started the whole thing, right? I mean, it's amazing. So, naturally, things will come our way that will raise those questions in our mind. Romans 8 is here to tell you, you've got help. And the help is from none other than God himself.
Hopefully you've got the help of brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Okay, One of the benefits of being a part of a local fellowship and so on. Hopefully you've got that. Not all of God's people have had that. And there may be situation or circumstance where that's taken away from you, maybe. Who knows what the future holds. But nobody can take God from you. Nobody. So, another source of help, even when we don't know what to pray, we are told, number three, that the Spirit intercedes for us. We are told in verse 26 that He helps our infirmities and the elaboration on what that help is. What form does that help take? Well, He's praying for you. He Himself intercedes for us. He is praying for us. And this word intercede is the idea that the word itself emphasizes that the activity, the request is being made for someone else. Like it's not being, the spirit isn't praying for himself. He's praying for you. Right? So the word itself looks outward. The word itself is, you know, this request, this prayer is being made for someone else. And so that's what we are told here. The Spirit himself is making intercession for us. And again, verse 27, he makes intercession for the saints. Now, there are some interesting statements that are made for us here in connection with this intercession. At the end of verse 26, we are told that he is making intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. Two aspects that we want to think about. First is the use of that term groanings. We have seen this already in the chapter. So if you look back a little bit, we saw that in verse uh, 22, the whole creation groans and prevails in pain together until now. So that's talking about creation around us. And, and there's this, again, there's not a voice that you hear, but there's this, there's this testimony to the burden that is being experienced and the, the hope that is being expected, right? If you look at um, verse 19, told us that the earnest expectation of the creation was this waiting for the redemption of the children of God. And so in, in the meantime, there's this groaning and travailing in pain. It's like that woman, you know, who's in labor and about to give birth, right? And there's this, oh! Right? But it's not just creation. Verse 23 goes on and says, and not only they, but ourselves also, 
which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. So, the Spirit, on one level, is doing what we're doing. And we're doing what all of creation is doing. Right? In other words, there is this, this awareness, this consciousness that this is not good. And it's a longing for, for release, for deliverance. It's a longing for the promised uh, inheritance, etc. Right? So there is this uh, uh, response that at the same time testifies to the badness, recognizes the badness, but it testifies to the hope. Right? So there's this groaning. Paul used that term in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? where he talked about you know, this desire to put on our new tabernacle. Right? He uses that term groaning in that chapter as well. So the Spirit is entering into precisely our experience in our weakness, in the difficulty that we are experiencing. The Spirit is not some detached, far off, doesn't really understand. That's the point. He's doing what you're doing, right? in the sense, in that groaning. Right? He is right there with us. He knows what's going on. He knows how hard it is. He's not ignorant of the burden and the pain and the press that you are in the middle of. He is not ignorant of that. So there's that aspect. He makes intercession with groanings. But then there's this, groanings which cannot be uttered. This exact term occurs only here in the New Testament. There is a related term that occurs in one other place that we'll look at in just a minute. But this does not mean that the, the, the groan is totally incomprehensible. It means that words cannot fully testify. Words are inadequate. They fall short is the idea. It's not that it's totally incomprehensible, but it's just, it just goes beyond what speech words are capable of doing. Let me show you that in the, the use of a similar term. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 is also written to believers who are suffering. And in writing to believers that are suffering... He points us to our inheritance, verse 4, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein we greatly rejoice. 
Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that word translated unspeakable is related to our word in Romans 8. So in, as you look at what Peter is saying here, here are these people and they are suffering, right? They are, this, this, their faith is being tried, though it be tried with fire. I mean, this is not easy. It's hard, hard. And yet they have this hope, this hope in Christ, And in Christ, they are rejoicing. Tell me about that joy. Well, it's just really hard to put in words. I mean, here I am, I'm in prison, and they've just beaten my back raw, and my feet are in stocks, and yet I'm going to sing and praise the Lord. What, are you crazy? No, I'm joyful. I mean, I my eyes are on Christ, right? And he gives me joy. Even in the midst of this suffering, he gives me joy. And it's like, you know, Paul also talks about the peace of God that passes understanding. I mean, you know, folks, words just fall short. They fall short but it doesn't diminish the reality of the joy. I just can't put it into words. I'm sorry. I just, you know, you'd have to experience it, is the idea. But believing people for centuries, for millennia, have experienced it. This is not fairy tale. This is not make-believe. This is the most real kind of stuff that you can imagine because the suffering and the weakness and the infirmity is beyond what you can imagine. And yet they are rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the Spirit is making intercession for us with groanings. Well, tell me about the... Words aren't sufficient. And really, if you think about it, think about, think about the complexity of your situation. Think about the many variables, right? It could go this way, or it could go that way, or it could go another way, or it could, th- and then there are all these other people around me, and they're affected by what's going on in my life, too. I mean, think about the variables. Folks, God is interested in all of those variables. He is interested in all of those variables and his intercession addresses all of those things. He's not just focused on one aspect. He's taking into consideration all of it. And so these groanings are groanings that really go beyond what words can fully testify to, but we're not left with this sort of nebulous, undefined, you know, that's weird, Uh, kind of a statement. Let's look what follows. We're back to Romans chapter 8. 
The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Of course, when he's interceding, to whom is he talking? He's talking to God the Father. right? So God the Son is coming alongside you in your infirmity and he's talking to God the Father about you and your situation. And he's groaning. He knows exactly what you're experiencing in that situation. Well, what is he asking for for you? You don't know. And it's beyond what you can know, but it's not beyond what God knows. He that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Why? Because he's making intercession for the saints according to God. Right? According to the will of God. Right? He, he is there as God, but he's there for you. He's indwelling you. He's fully aware of your situation and he's talking to God the Father on your behalf and his desire is the will of God. You didn't know what you should pray for. He knows what he should pray for because he's God and he knows the will of God. Right? And so what's so interesting here is here we are and in this trouble and in this hard situation that is so overwhelming and so much beyond me, you know, yes, I can look ahead to the hope, right? And that helps. It does help. But here's this as well, to understand that God himself is for us and he, the Holy Spirit, is praying for us, requesting exactly for your situation the will of God. Which later in chapter 12 we're reminded is good, pleasing unto the Lord, and perfect. That will of God is what the Holy Spirit is praying. He is praying the will of God. By the way, if, God were, if God's word promises, and it does, First John 5, we read it, If God's word promises that when you ask in accordance with the will of God, you know that he hears and you know that you'll have that request, how about if God the Holy Spirit asks? No, not going to work. Of course it's going to work, right? I mean, if, if, if we are promised that if we ask in accordance with God's will, we get it, how much more God the Holy Spirit when he prays for you, when he intercedes for you in your weakness and his intercession, though you can't fully articulate it with words of human speech, he is desiring for you the perfect will of God. And there is God the Holy Spirit coming before God the Father, pleading your case. Your case! Individually, specifically, you. He's praying for you. Folks, that's the testimony. It's not just this general, oh yeah, God's interested in everybody. No. Well, he is, but he's interested in you. That's, that is the emphasis of this passage. It's for you in your situation. Right? And so he makes intercession according to the will of God. We don't have time to flesh this out, but we are reminded then, what is the will of God? We know that all things work together for good. 
to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he did also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's the will of God for you. So on the one level, the will of God for you is good. Yes, you're in the middle of trouble. Yes, you're feeling very acutely your weakness. Whatever the type Fleshly illness, malady, outside persecution, tribulation, whatever. Yes, you're in the middle of that. But there is a God in heaven and he is pleading your explicit case. And what he's asking for is good for you. He's asking good for you. That's the will of God. Whatever that good is, right? Some of that good is you know, our humility before him. Some of that good is our ability to testify to the comfort of the God of all comfort in the midst of this, where I was right nigh unto death. Read Second Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul's testimony, right? So maybe the Lord wants to use you to encourage me or someone else in this room because you can bear witness to a faithful God in the midst of all of that trouble. That's good, isn't it? That, that's good. And that's what God intends. Right? So, and folks, there are so many different ways that it can go. Sometimes it is total deliverance and release from the problem. Sometimes. Right? So God, God's will is good. The Holy Spirit is praying for that. God's will, as we saw there in verse uh, 29, is your conformity to the image of his son. Folks, that is what he wants to do through that midst of that trouble, right? He's working on you, right? How do you think the marble feels when Michelangelo is there whacking away at the marble to carve out this beautiful statue? I speak as a fool, right? But he's conforming you to the image of his son. And sometimes, for some of us, it takes a bit of work. Okay, um, But a faithful God is desiring that. He's praying for you for that. He, if nobody else is praying that you become more like Christ, God the Holy Spirit is praying that. So he's praying for you in accordance with the will of God. Now, hopefully... You've got other people praying the same thing for you, right? And they can encourage you with their kind words and with their helpful, strong backs or whatever it is that they can help you with, right? You know, sometimes we are limited in what we can do, but not always. Sometimes we can do a lot. But the Holy Spirit is there and he's always, he is never going to ask for you anything outside of God's will. He is never going to ask for you anything that does not lead to your good ultimately. He is never going to ask anything for you that, that moves you away from Christ-likeness. He's always going to ask for moving you toward that. And then ultimately, verse 30, it's your glorification. Right? So we've got this testimony that God, the Holy Spirit, is interceding for us. Right? And so we've, we've got this 
this recognition the Lord wants to give us to recognize that this is part of what is happening. God is very much involved in your life if you are his child. He is very much involved. He's dwelling within you. right? That person of the Godhead who is living inside of you is the one who's praying for you. Right? That ought to encourage your heart. Because he, I mean, he's, again, we can't fully explain that, but if he's dwelling within us, he knows all that's going on. Right? I mean, he would know that without dwelling within us, but he's dwelling within us. Earlier in the chapter, that was argued. So here we have this, and I hope that the Lord would really, really use it for our encouragement. Folks, God is for you. And he is for you in in the closest possible way. He is not far off and distant. He is right there with us. In the midst of our weakness, he is there. And so we have the opportunity to see the power of God displayed in us as we yield ourselves to him as we submit to his will, as we express to him, Lord, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Surely that's what Paul was praying. And in Paul's case, the Lord said, no, I'm going to leave it, but it's going to be good. And it was good for Paul. And it's good for me because I can read that about Paul. right? And I can be helped by that testimony. So God, folks, God has it figured out. He knows how to make this work. He knows how to make it work for you. And in your, in your weakness and in your need and in your trouble, God knows how to make it work. Let's trust him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We need this. We need this encouragement. And surely, Lord, we need the help of your spirit. Not only do you give to our eyes the ability to see this word in faith, But Lord, this word tells us that your spirit goes beyond words in interceding for us. So complete and so full, so rich and multifaceted is his intercession for us. That gives us joy. And Lord, it is joy that also is unspeakable. Thank you. Help us, oh God, help us. Help us to walk forward. Help us to take the next step, Lord. Help us to stand up again when we've fallen. Help us in our weakness. Amen.